Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to TNR with EWC on RFB, Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 245 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. A very special episode. On this week's installment, we have our regular contributor and resident historian and Marxist, Surf William. And we'll be talking to the Surf about the Second Punic War, the Civil War, Hannibal, Marx, and how he is the Surf's hero, guns and the NRA, Republican cowards and traitors, about the solar system, about religion, and how God is all-knowing, free will, and uh, hunting, and how surf is not a real man. Also, we have on this week's episode an EW essay titled Break On Through, and a piece by writer Charlotte Lewis titled Checking Out of Life, Checking Myself In, and a poem titled Virtue. All of this, as is always the case, will be interspersed within several great tunes. Let's get to it. Episode 245 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Thank you, God. 
on through and so we begin yet again as the blues singer is singing our song tantamount to the whereabouts of your soul here we go looking for it far and wide with hopes to survive but deeply we know and there it is you can see it is all for us to hold though never to be owned, and the human ego and selfish will cannot help to succumb over and over still for a thrill, vain and ethereal, as though it may be. You and I have such difficulty to see the waywardness of our ways, the seediness of our plays. Sweet smell of mother and father and love and home transmute into any empty rhyme of a singular pseudo-poem until all we truly can grasp is the task and circumstance as simply narrow and shallow as one might visage. A sad tale of lost beauty parking his motor vehicle in a garage and so to pretend 
might be the only prospect of living a happy end, so that you and I may re-engage and find a truer existence breaking through the sublime. All, my friend, in due time. Away my pain, love like a hurricane. Hate is what got me here. Love, sweet love, is gonna set me free. All the hatred in the world is what got me here today. But I know that love is gonna set me free. Gonna set me free, set me free. Gonna set me free, set me free, set me free Gonna set me free, set me free Oh, no, 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 no Ooh, ooh, hate is what got me here Love, sweet love is gonna set me free All the hatred in the world is what got me here today But I know that love is gonna set me free Hatred is what got me here today Love, sweet love is gonna set me free I ain't trying to appeal to just your mind Just a little part of your humanity Love to set you free
Surf William, is that you? Do you read me? Do you read me? You're out on the sea, right? We're you're, we're broadcasting. You're in an undisclosed location on some freighter <laughs> in the Black Sea. You're in a mood this morning. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have you on the program again, Sir William, our resident historian on troubadours and rock on tours. I, I'm just giving you a heads up. I got nothing today. It's don't, just going to be dead air for 20 minutes. Don't do that. Don't. You told me. <laughs> You told me you want to talk about you want to talk about the Second Punic War and Hannibal and Hitler and class warfare, land reform and ancient Rome, all this stuff. Marx is your hero for God's sake. There's something there. You love But the, I'm just sitting here now drinking my coffee. It's a beautiful morning. Is the sun shining there? Uh no, the sh- the sun is not shining here. Uh not yet at least. It's, well, yeah, beautiful here and um, out on the ocean on this freighter. Yeah, I'm hearing a little like sort of uh, noise, the, like, of the wave, the crashing of the waves. No, there, when you when you're speaking, there's a little. I don't know. It's not clear. I wonder. I wonder if that can you adjust what's going on in the there. Uh, well, I can. Let's see if I let's see if I take you off speakerphone. If that helps, hold on. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, tell me if that's a, is that any different? Is that better? That's better. Yeah, there's still a buzz. But... I'll talk to you on my cell phone like it's an old-fashioned phone and give myself brain cancer, whatever. For you, for the show, I'll do it. Thank you. We appreciate it. The Troubadours and Rock on Tours appreciate it. <laughs> so, yeah, this is, um, this is a, a regular segment on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, and uh, you're our resident historian, which is a big, big title for you. I know you put it on all your, your CVs and such. Uh, yeah, exactly, because I'm passing those out constantly. Because <laughs> well, no one will hire me. Well, you're a Marxist. What do you expect? Well, Marx was right in a lot of ways. I just want to say one thing before we go any further. You know, I, I, as you know, you know, we both love history a lot. I mean, how can you not love history? There's so many lessons to be learned. But I'd like to just go back to 1979 for a moment uh, and uh, point out to everybody that Judge Roy Moore is a child molester. Okay, let's continue. Yeah, but you know, they don't care in Alabama. No, they don't seem. Republicans don't seem to care at all. Actually, so where were we? <laughs> yeah, actually, I think he has more support now. I really do. I'm not even kidding. You know, the, the, uh, uh, it's uh, well. First of all, you're talking about Alabama, which even makes Pennsylvania look progressive. So you know, you can't expect much. No, and the reason you reference Pennsylvania is because both of us are from the northeastern part of Pennsylvania. Though you live in uh, northern Jersey now, right? I, you know, I've always been accused of being an East Coast uh, elite, an East Coast effete, intellectual liberal. So Pennsylvania wasn't far enough east for me. So I moved to New Jersey because I need to be more east, easternly. I need to be more, more intellectual and effete. I wasn't East Coast enough in Pennsylvania. I yeah. want to be really East Coast. Well, I, I remember um, when you lived in Philly, that was perfect for you. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. I'm moving closer to the ocean because I want to be so East Coast, you can't be any more East Coast than me. Yeah. Well, great, great. Well, let's get into it. We gave a little background there for people who haven't heard uh, you. You share your, your unique in, insight and passion with with us here at Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Let's get into some of the topics before we run out of time. We only have twenty five minutes or so. The Second Punic War. Why, why that? I just happen to be studying that right now. So I find you know it's fun to get into. It's 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 common for people to have a broad you know a broad understanding of history a broad scope uh 
but there's so many you know now i'm teaching roman history and it's there's so much there it's it's in, it's incredibly dense and for example hannibal was out hannibal was one is one of the most insane characters in in history period i can't believe there haven't been like hundreds of movies about him like what a crazy dude what a crazy mind-blowing thing i try to convey to people when you think about this guy who decided i'm going to get a pack of elephants and i'm going to cross the alps in the winter time you got to be out of your. It's nuts. Like if you came to a, a producer with a screenplay and you said, I have a movie about a guy who crosses the Alps on a bunch of elephants, they'd be like, that's crazy. Nobody will buy that. The history is absolutely mind blowing and it just goes on and on and on. But the Second Punic War, you know, I try and tie all this stuff together. And again, I contend that most wars are fought for economic reasons. So I don't think history serves any purpose if you don't figure out a way to make real world connections and actually actually reference that information to help you understand your current situation. And it'll inform your thinking on the way you view your current political problems. Wars are economic issues. Wars are fought over economics and resources. Even the Civil War? We talked about that the last time. You well, know. yeah, especially the Civil War. My God, if, if, slavery were, if slavery were abolished, that represented a complete upheaval of not just the Southern economic system, but a lot of, a lot of related economies in the North. That was, a, you know, that was the whole foundation of their... It's like, it's, like, it's like coming into an industrial economy and taking away coal, just taking it away. Right. And all of a sudden, all the factories shut down. You know, slavery would have changed everything. Um, the, yeah, and the, so, the ugly know, truth. It's about resources. The ugly truth. I mean, we talk about how it's, you know, some folks say, well, it wasn't economic. It was about slavery. But the ugly truth is that our black African-American brothers and sisters from the past in our history were chattel, basically. Of course. Absolutely. You know, uh, so, yeah, it is economic in the eyes of those who didn't respect the humanity of other other people? Uh, so yeah, and, and you know, and and also uh, uh, we also assume that history was was preordained. So because it's in a history book now, and that's the way it was, I know I for one tend to think, well, that's the way it had to be. In other words, that in other words, that history was inevitable. And you see, you see the vicissitudes with which we live, and the and the and the the chance occurrences and the various and the variables in life that lead people down certain paths and, and have events go the way they go. And you realize, my God, it's all so incredibly capricious and arbitrary. I was watching a, and I'm going to go off topic a little bit. I was watching a, a, a special on the formation of the solar system. And the fact that the, the fact that the earth even formed is miraculous. It required so many minute events to happen exactly in a certain way for the Earth to fall into this orbit around this sun in exactly this way. You think, my God, what are the chances of that? Well, I guess they're really, really high because, or low. I'm not a gambling man. Help me out, EW. The chances of that happening are really low. The chances are really low. The chances are really, really low. And so I think, I think everything is sort of um, wide open. Yeah, but see, you're not making any sense to me because uh, a white guy up in the sky created the planet in seven days. Well, six days. It took a break on the seventh. So, I, you know, right. that makes sense to me. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> but did he pre- – so – but, you know, but okay. All right, you want to talk religion? I get confused by Catholicism, and I always did because uh, 
God is all-knowing. Is that what you're saying? There's an entity that made everything? Well, yeah, we all know okay, that. Okay, good. And he's omnipotent, and he knows, and here's what I he's heard. He's not impotent. That is, that is sacrilege. <laughs> here's what I heard in the church. God, and I remember this specifically, God knows all that was, all that is, and all that is yet to be. This was God. God knew all. It transcended time. God knew what was going to happen in the future. So then I would say, well then, my future is already preordained, so I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, because it's already done. But then they would try and make it sound like you have this thing called free will. Well, you can't have free will if God already knows what's going to happen. It's going to happen. Right? Right. So, I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, you know, there's a contradiction there. You as a kid saw a flaw in the rationale uh, to a certain extent, or at least if you didn't see it, you exposed it by saying, okay, then I can do, everything's cool. I don't have to worry because everything is planned already. And then, oh, no, 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 no. Like, wait a minute. What do you mean, no? You just right. said. And then they say, shut up and sit down. <laughs> and I'll tell you why I reject the notion of God, and it's for a lot of reasons. But one of the main ones is exactly what I just said. If there is an eternal hell fire, as the Catholics taught me growing up in the Catholic Church, then that means that God already knew you were going to hell before you were ever even born, because God knew you were going to be born, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years before the event. But he also knew you were going to live your life, do bad things, and he would condemn you to hell forever, forever. Now, what being would even create you knowing that ultimately where you're going to end up is the eternal hell fires forever? Right. Why would any, why would any all, like, who would do that? If it were my science experiment and I got to make a Sims world, I wouldn't do that. Right, right, exactly. I mean, so, so that's not love. you know, so, so I, I, you know, this notion of God, I don't, I just, I'm not buying it. I haven't bought it for a long, long time. Well, yeah, and I, I'm, can't. and and I, I know it might might even sound ridiculous for us to talk about this stuff to those who have rationally analyzed the prospect of of there being this sort of God, but there, are, most of the people in our country uh, do believe it. So it, it is an issue, and it is something that we have to address and focus a light oh, on, because it, it, it really affects how we think, how we communicate, how we, how we behave together in this country, in, in our society. Which brings up, which brings up, it kind of brings us back around again. We are divided by issues that are designed to divide us. We are wedge issues. There have been wedge issues going back thousands of years. We are divided by these web these these wedge issues uh the people who believe in god and go to church every sunday and then the people there's people like 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 me who don't believe in god and don't go to church every sunday but yet we're tied together economically for example we're in the same socioeconomic bracket and we will vote against each other constantly because of these ancillary and i call them ancillary issues because i really believe people should really be voting along for economic reasons and if people were voting for economic reasons primarily you would see a real coalescing of left and right left and right voters because we share the same economic interests people who are voting on the right now because of wedge issues are also being manipulated because they they're voting for representatives and legislators who are working against their economic interests for right. example this most recent tax bill you know people are voting uh, uh, enthusiastically for representatives who are going to Washington and writing legislation that's going to directly hurt them. Like it's 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 not even it's not even subterfuge. It's like it's this will hurt you. Every everybody but everybody who's looked at it has said that. 
Um, but they will continue to vote for these people because they're pro-gun, because they're pro-Bible, because they're quote-unquote values voters. Um, I think it's just a clever ruse to get the, to, to, to further uh, uh, concentrate wealth in the hands of a few. And, and isn't this kind of uh, what Marx said? And that's why I think you, you uh, claim Marx is your hero. He said this a while back. <laughs> Our certain friend in Southern France gets so mad at me when I say that. Um, oh, you know, he's going to have a segment on, on the program coming up, too, a new segment. I can't wait to hear it. Global Hobo. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking. They got to let me know when it, you got to advertise it prominently. Oh, of course, of course. But back to what you were saying. Uh, Marx about- just Marx Marx's Marx's critiques of capitalism and his predictions about capitalism were, were pretty right on. I mean, I haven't even picked up Marx in a long time. It's been it's been years since I picked up Marx, but I remember every time I do, and I don't read like Das Kapital from beginning to end. Like I just pick up Marx and I and I and I peruse it. There's a lot there. He's a philosopher. I read Marx like I would read any philosopher. I might open to a random page and just start reading. Every time I do that with Marx, I go, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, that's right on. There's no, there's no spin. There's no, um, there's no wild conjecture. It's like very rational. Uh, it's a very rational exploration of this thing we call capitalism. And his analysis of it is, is always right on. And I mean, the way capitalism divides, the way capitalism exploits, the way capitalism pretends that there's unlimited resources, but there's not unlimited resources. They're very finite. Uh, Marx talks about all this stuff in one way or another. And I find it really fascinating because he's right. Who, who, would he's, you, who would you say was our most Marxist president? Oh, I don't think any of our presidents were Marxist. No, not, not totally, but leaning that direction. Uh, God, well, you know, I mean, I guess you have, we have to define what Marxism is, you know, like we'd have to have a definition of Marxism and I would have to think about that. But if we want a quick and dirty definition of Marxism as, and again, I think he was a philosopher. And so I'm going to say Marxism, this is just off the top of my head. Marxism is the philosophy of, um, worker of how do we say this worker majority worker rule rule of the rule of and by the people 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 controlling the means of production the masses the population the serfs the serfs so you know you've got sort of strains of this in various presidents no american president comes close to it but i think you have strains of that populist mentality like give give it back to the people in teddy roosevelt um I don't include Trump in that because yeah, he calls I think himself a populist, but yeah, but I think everything Trump says is designed is designed to just sort of allow Trump to bumble through the world. Like I don't see Trump as having any. Um, uh, he's got no real political philosophy that he follows. No, he's he's really I don't I don't even enjoy talking about him because I find it just utterly insulting. Like it's it's demeaning to have to even discuss him. Oh, well, we won't. I'm looking. Let's I'm just... looking forward to the day he's simply gone. Yeah, yeah, me too. You know, that's all. Like, I have to be very blunt about it. It's an embarrassment. And look, I'm a wild, wacky, lefty liberal. So fine, you can paint me with that brush. But I could give you a, a, I could give you probably hundreds of prominent conservative Republicans who feel the same way I do, oh. and they say it publicly. But you also, you, you claim that there are many Republicans who are cowards and traitors. Yes, absolutely. 
Which are the which ones are you talking about? And by the way, can you hear oh, the? Paul, can, can I can I just po- point to something? I don't know if you can hear this, but this is like the the mentality that we're talking about. And maybe this is insulting and condescending from my my point of view, but it it really aggravates me. You know, it's like the people living in a in a tunnel, living in in a narrow perspective of the world. Uh, it's eight o'clock in the morning as we speak, as we tape this conversation, and a guy is using a leaf blower. I don't, you know. <laughs> He's out there with a leaf blower, like a drone, and I just hear. Can you hear it? It's like. What are you? No, luckily I can't. And he's no. got like the ear things on his ears, so he can't hear it. But he's not thinking about his neighbors who, had, and he started about ten minutes ago. Who before eight o'clock in the morning, he is you know making here his leaf blower as he walks around it's looking insane. at. The, it is looking at the ground with his earmuffs on, well, so he can't. You know what? It's you nuts. know what? Though? But that's but that's what you get for living in your gated community with all of your with all of your investment bankers and yeah right. And, Right, Wall Street, Wall Street, you know, money market managers. The jig is up. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you exposed me. (laughs) You've been exposed in your gated community. But anyway, back to what you were saying. (laughs) Yeah, Um, presidents who were Marxists. No, I don't even think you can go down that road. I, I don't even. I don't see that in any way, shape, or form. The president is a representation of the established uh socioeconomic political system which is a corporate-based economy so oh, no, to the, me i see and, and well, uh, to me i see presidents as representatives of that some lean a little bit more towards um towards workers rights but most of them are are are, are inventions of of corporate political of corporate political system for sure that's how i see it but but the republicans you know, I wanted I wanted you to identify. You were saying Paul, I probably Ryan. Who, oh, oh, oh! Uh, the Republicans Paul Ryan, who are traitors and Paul cowards. Ryan, Mitch McConnell. Um. You are listening to TNR with EWC on RFB Radio Free Brooklyn. Who are some other Republicans who drive me crazy? I want to say Cotton. Is Cotton from uh, uh, Missouri or Arkansas? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, you know, you're seeing some people come out now and speak out in opposition, like and I'm Corker. happy to see that. Yeah, yeah. Flake. I and Flake, and I'm happy. I'm happy to see that. Uh, I, what I see, however, are a lot more Republicans willing to go along for the ride because they're getting the things that they wanted. You know, put yourself in the shoes of a Republican lawmaker, a Republican representative. They are bought and paid for by specific interest groups we know the nra we know a lot of corporate interests now i'm not saying democrats are innocent i'm not saying that i'm saying that we know that these republicans are absolutely bought and paid for they're getting phone calls now from their donors saying if you don't pass this tax bill you don't call don't ever call us again so the people who are directly responsible for them getting elected are contacting them now and saying you better you better pass this thing like we pay a lot of money to put you in office we want this tax bill well, like it, repre- it represents billions to these corporations. Right, so it's blatant. So, that, so you know how these guys are going to vote. You know how they're going to vote. And they're not going to vote. Uh, they're not going to vote in the best interests of their constituents. They're That's why they're traitors? The yes, absolutely. Now, they're a product of a system that I think is broken. But you have to do the right thing. And you're not doing right by your constituents. You're yeah. simply giving money. You will be taking money away from the worker and giving it to the wealthy. And that's that's the dynamic that has to stop in this country. And that's why the wedge issues are so crucial, because they want to keep doing it. Republicans specifically, Democrats are guilty, too, but Republicans specifically want to keep doing it because it keeps them in power and it enriches them. And so they want to keep doing it. This isn't some trenchant political observation. I mean, everybody knows it. It's so blatant. 
except for people who are voting against their own best interests for Republicans. Well, yeah, because, you know, somebody will tell you there's a war on Christmas or the atheists want to take your Bible away or the Muslims are going to institute Sharia law or if they take away your bump stock, they're going to take away all your weapons next. And people get weirded out and they're like, I'm not, I can't vote for that. And they will vote themselves right into the ground just so they can hold on to their gun and their Bible that nobody's really taking away anyway. Now, what about the NRA? Are you still a member? Uh, I was never a member of the NRA. And I grew up in a hunting family, a really large extended hunting family. And I hunted. I've killed things in the woods with a gun. Uh, I can, can, I, can I just share an anecdote? I remember when you and I, we've known each other since we're kids, since high school. And I remember the, uh, one of the, the first time you killed a deer. Uh, you were oh hunting. Yeah. You were hunting with your dad, I think, and your brothers. And, yeah. and you came in to, to class <laughs> afterwards, and you were, like, emotionally shaken. <laughs> and you told me you could never do it again. I remember that. And I, I that thought, is so... I like that about you. I was like, wow, because I'm not into hunting for, for that reason. I, you know, I don't want to go out. And- I'm so glad we've memorialized this because it was such a traumatic experience. Because you're not and, a real man, basically. Because I'm not a real man. <laughs> I'm a mouse. I'm yeah. not a man. I'm a mouse. <laughs> yeah, no, it was such a traumatic experience. I'm so glad you brought that up and we have that we have that now immortalized on the show because I showed uh, Alex a picture of me with my kill. You know, someone took a picture of me in the back of a pickup truck. As you know, my dad passed away a few years ago. Well, I got a box of photographs recently and I found this picture of me that he took of me in the back of the pickup truck with my buck, you know, holding up the head like the happy hunter. And the look on my face, it's like total, you know, it's like my village was just wiped out by the Khmer Rouge. Like, I look like <laughs> I've just got a blank stare. Yeah. <laughs> I was traumatized. Yeah. So I was traumatized. And, uh, uh, you know, I wasn't so traumatized that I didn't go out the next year and shoot a turkey. So I shot a deer and a turkey and then I was done. And that, that was it. But, I mean, it, you, you, hit it, you hit it right on the head, it being why so many folks are are mobilized by the NRA because there's a there's a tradition in in, uh, in our in our uh, society in American society uh, and more specifically in in uh, family culture of men usually uh, going out mm-hmm. together from generation to generation and uh, and hunting together and and they and no one's no one's opposed to that as a matter of fact not only is no one opposed to it everyone with a half a brain realizes how essential it is to have hunters out there doing what they do hunting is is a, a crucial part of, of wildlife management. Uh, oh, so geez, got, you know you now got, if, if our if our regular contributor attorney Michael Harris for friends of, from Friends of Animals hears this, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna be mad. Well, I'm a radical lefty liberal, and I would talk to him any day about the necessity for hunting as a form of wildlife management. It doesn't endanger a population. Uh, if in, well, if anything, not, it makes the population healthier. But we'll, yeah, I can save that for another day. Yeah, but we'll that but that's, my, my point is this. That was, a, that was an opportunity for me to plug another segment. Go ahead. Good. You know what? We could, we could have a nice talk about that, and I would love to be, I would love to be uh, 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 more informed about the topic. Um, I have my feelings about it from the way I was raised, and this gets back to your point. I'm not some wild-eyed liberal saying take all the guns. Uh, hunting has never, ever, ever been included in any discussion of gun control. Never. Nobody's going to take away the 30-odd-6 or the 35 Marlin or whatever you use to shoot a deer. Uh, those weapons aren't used in mass murders anyway. No one's going to take those away. Um, 
the weapons that we're talking about, and, and we could get into the we could get into the intent of the founding fathers when they wrote the Second Amendment. We could get into their heavily influenced thinking of the founding fathers by Roman law and Latin language. And we can look at the language that the Romans used to express some of the same things in Latin, and you can easily show how the Second Amendment is meant to pertain to a group, an organized fighting group, an organized fighting group together as a fighting group that trains together as a fighting group, and they are armed. And in that context, you will give arms to these people when they're in this organized fighting group. When they go back to their farms, no, they're not taking all their military weapons with them. They're, they can have a rifle to hunt. If we're talking colonial America, of course. Uh, but you can't have the weapons that you're using in your, in your military training. They, they don't go home with you. And, and besides, the AR-15 or whatever gun it was used to conduct these, these, these massacres... They're, they're not hunting weapons anyway. Nobody hunts with those. You don't need those to hunt. How about you keep them at the shooting range, and that's where they get locked up. And you go to your shooting range, and you can shoot your machine gun, because that makes you happy. All right, they're not technically machine guns. The gun nuts will get mad at me now. The, go shoot your, your semi-automatic weapon at the shooting range as much as you want, and when you're done, you put it back in the locker, and you leave. How about that? Yeah, that sounds like a, a reasonable Then you get to shoot your gun. Then you get to love your gun. You get to shoot your gun, but you can't walk around on the street with a weapon that's designed to mow down a, a, a maximum number of people. I think the fear that, is, the fear is, and the fear that is instilled in people is once you allow that little uh, sort of taking away of, of our liberty, then mm -hmm. it, opens the, it opens the door uh, that a little bit that can be opened further and further where they can take more and more of our rights as gun owners. I think that is, you know, that's why they are so rigid. You can't let them take any right away. The NRA it's the beginning of the end. Right. And that is the rhetoric of the radical right wing that took over the NRA 40 years ago. If you go back and look at the messaging of the NRA and the leadership of the NRA in the 60s and the 70s, you will see an organization that said, we do not believe in the capricious uh, carrying of weapons out in society. That is not what the NRA is about. The NRA was an organization to promote gun safety, not gun sales. That's what they are now. Now they promote gun sales. They used to be an organization of sportsmen, and it was mostly men, sports people who, who had a shared a common interest around these firearms. But they weren't talking about military assault weapons and, and, and you know, why don't they allow um, rocket-propelled grenades? Why can't we just have those? Why can't we have open-air markets where we can go buy one? I mean, if these people are in favor of weapons for all, put them out. Let's get them out there. Bazookas, tanks, why not? Crazy talk. And then let all the drugs, heroin, cocaine, everything be legalized. Saying, but I want yeah. to point out the absurdity of their argument. Exactly. I got We've you. already decided as a culture certain things aren't for sale. Uh, Rocket-propelled grenades, stinger missiles. I want a stinger missile. I want a stinger missile. Right? Even the NRA people go, oh, that's just silly. Well, there's, that's uh, an assault weapon that holds 100 rounds and can mow down, you know, 50 or 60 people in a matter of minutes. That's insane. That's insane. I agree. That's equally insane. So their argument holds no water. We their get, argument holds no water. I love it. We got you riled up. Sir William here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours, our regular contributor, resident historian. It's always wonderful to talk with you. We're just about out of time. Can you just give us a brief, brief little insight to leave us with until next time, Surf? Um, we should reject all behavior and all modes of thought 
that are damaging and negative and hurtful and abusive. So whether it's Roy Moore or Louis C.K., if we, if we see that kind of activity, we should put partisan politics aside and we should be able to publicly shame and as a, as a community say certain types of behavior are wrong. Period. End of story. Um, if we do that, that's a step towards a rec- some sort of reconciliation. Thank you, Sir William. Thank you so much. Keep teaching those young people. I think it will help in the future. My, my Marxist brother. Hey, uh, Thanksgiving. Ciao. Will I see you over Thanksgiving? Oh, yeah, over the def- definitely. I would love it. All right. I'm, I'll give you a holler when, I'm, when we're up there. Perfect. All right. Thank you. Okay. Ciao. Ciao. Bragging about all the glory that he tasted He's an old rocker He's an old rocker He's still wearing that old jacket he bought when he was 20 That was way back in the summer of 1969 He's an old rocker He's an old rocker
an excerpt from a piece titled Checking Out of Life, Checking Myself In by the incomparable Charlotte. Before I checked myself in, I had so much unchecked grief and guilt that wasn't easy to drown out anymore. I didn't know who I was, how I became such a shitty person. Right before the accident, I was organizing, writing, working at the bookstore, working at a vegan cafe, planting gardens, living with my friends, was taking Gong Fu and Tajiquan, and getting ready to go to Asheville, North Carolina to become a holistic herbalist. I felt like my life was at a peak, and the accident was this huge fault line that swallowed my life, totally stole the ground I was standing on, and I was so unbelievably sad that that great path got disrupted, and it seemed completely out of reach. I'd drifted away too far to be at a similar place again. So, right before checking myself in, I didn't want to leave the apartment, but I was there with my ex I wanted to break up with, and we were fighting all the time. He had stuff of his own he was struggling with, but he wasn't a bad guy. I was searching for some sharp reason why he was awful so I could leave him. I had only broken up with people who had clearly done something shitty so I could leave in a fire of self-righteous anger. It was a disaster. Sometimes my panic and aggression would escalate to the point I would uncontrollably cut myself, burn myself, or smash my head into walls. The only time I hurt anyone was when my ex tried to physically restrain me in this state of self-harm, and I bit him really hard. I didn't want to hurt myself or others. I didn't want to cause more brain damage when I smashed my head into things, and I didn't want to cut too deep, no matter how desperate I felt. When I was like this, I was out of control. It was really scary when I would come out of it. I hated myself for it. Not being able to talk myself into being calm and freaking out on people was such an embarrassment. During the Dark Ages, I would probably have been burned for demonic possession, which one set of aunt and uncle who were fundamentalists thought of my whole family. I didn't want to move back in with my family. My resentments I felt toward them were magnified by a hundredfold. I just quit my job after freaking out on my boss and the whole company I worked for and didn't have any savings to move out on my own, and estranged myself from all of my friends I could have lived with. I had wasted years of my life as a zombie in a weed haze. I wasn't doing anything fulfilling. I couldn't get over the accident that happened four years ago. I couldn't hold down a job and always burn bridges when I left. I was getting help from my mom basically so I could buy weed. I felt like the worst. And above all, I felt like I would never feel whole or real again. I didn't even know what DRDP were. Why was life worth living if I wasn't present for it, couldn't experience it? So I went to the emergency room. My mom took me there and told me she would get some things together for me and bring them. I didn't want my ex to be there. It is pretty unnerving to sign over your independence, 
but I relinquished in desperation, having no other alternative. I kept telling myself I wouldn't be there forever, especially since I thought I didn't have insurance. Turns out my MA never expired when I didn't reapply, so I was still covered. I was worried I wouldn't get good care there. I was afraid of being surrounded by folks with mental health issues related to living in an alternate reality, which I had no experience with. I was on edge about being under constant surveillance. It didn't take too long for me to move to a room in the ER. I told the nurse why I was there. Mainly I was scared I would kill myself the next time I got so riled up. He gave me a tetanus shot since I was cutting with exacto blades. They gave me the horrible thin cotton scrubs and non-skid socks to wear. They took my clothes and purse and made me sign off for each item I gave them. Luckily, I would get my normal clothes back the next day. My ex showed up. He was beginning to convince me I had made a mistake. He had been involuntarily institutionalized when he was a teenager and freaked me out about staying there. When a social worker came in, I told her I was thinking about leaving, but she said I was a risk to myself and others and they would involuntarily check me in, which would be on my police record, so I decided not to fight it. And thank goodness, because I'm pretty sure I would either be dead or back in the ER if I had left. Chimney falls at lover's place Thought that I was young Now I've freezing hands And bloodless veins Is now as I've become I'm so tired I wish I was the moon tonight Last night I dreamt I'd forgotten my name Cause I sold my soul But I won't just the same I'm so lonely I wish I was the moon
virtue. Hannibal the animal man, Hitler the stickler of evil flim-flam, Karl Marx like Rosa Parks, looking at virtue through the weakness of man. And you just sit there scratching your head, thinking about a loaf of rye bread, some hot soup, and Peter Pan. I can't give you anything but love, baby. That's the only thing I've plenty of, baby. Dream a while, scheme a while, you're sure to find happiness and a guess. All the things you've always pined for, gee, I'd like to see you looking swell, baby. Diamond cufflinks were worth doesn't sell, baby. Till that lucky day, you know darn well, baby. Give you anything but love Can't give you anything but love That's the thing I've plenty of Dream a while, scheme a while You're sure to find happiness And a guess All the things you've always pined for Gee, I'd like to see you looking swell Baby, diamond cufflinks were worth doesn't sell, my baby. Till that lucky day, you know darn well, baby. I can't give you anything but love, baby. I can't give you anything but And there you have it, episode 245 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, my good friend and our resident historian, Surf William. I'd also like to thank writer Charlotte Lewis and these musical artists. Yo la tengo, Michael Franti, James Maddock, Nico Case, Doris Day, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Brentford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard too. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, enjoy this one. Take care. <laughs>